morning. We've we got a couple of things to do, so uh, as Pastor James welcomed you, I'll move into what we're up to. So uh, for the family and the guests that are here, um, we, we've got to do a little bit of church business and then I'm going to share a little bit around the words. So um, I, hope, I hope that's okay if we can do a little bit of church business first and then we can do, do the things that's going on. Uh, so I'm really excited. I've got something here that I want to hand out to everyone, but I don't want to hand it out till I finish talking. So uh, I'll get our ushers to get organised with that in a moment. Um, but I'm really excited. Uh, it just seems that every time, it's every, like everything in the kingdom, every time you come to this kind of season, uh, it seems to be another faith step, uh, an extension of faith. And I said in our earlier service this morning that Jesus gives us all a measure of faith. Believe in Jesus. Yeah, I've got a couple of people doing this in the back. It's a small mustard seed amount of faith, okay? Hey, it's okay. <laughs> he doesn't want to leave. Look at that. All good, mate. All good. So it's a small mustard seed of faith. But you see, sometimes in the kingdom of God, we've got to start believing with greater faith. Everyone say greater faith, okay? Because salvation comes from that small seed of mustard seed faith that Jesus deposits in every one of us. All right? And when we allow that seed to take place, but when it comes to sometimes things as a church that we've got to step into, it takes greater faith. That greater faith is not the mustard seed faith. The greater faith is more linked. Okay, He's the one who gives us greater faith. Everyone say greater faith again because I love hearing your voices. And so what we're doing is we're stepping into a season of greater faith. We've got to believe. We've got to lift up our eyes a little bit and believe. And sometimes I find that people are challenged in the area of lifting up your own family and on your own problems. And this morning, uh, one lady walked into our 8.30 service this morning. And uh, usually, usually, um, usually with sometimes when you say to people, what's going on, you're not sure of the answer you're going to get back. This morning, I was a little bit under the weather, a bit, bit running around. Power was going off and all sorts of things. And, and when there's more, because I wanted to know why she was feeling fabulous. And she said, this is her direct words, because... I'm choosing not to focus on my problems, but to focus on the Lord. And I'm like, yes, someone's got it. should be focusing on the vision and the purposes and the things of God. So the small mustard seed faith, Jesus gives each and every one of us that. And we have to choose to plant that into the kingdom of God or not. But the faith to believe by the Holy Spirit is able to, uh, what will we say? Um, bring about mountain-moving faith. Amen? Everyone say amen. It's all right. It's only a, it's only a camera. It's all fine. And uh, I think about things like that, and I think about how we focus and all that sort of stuff. Hey, I'm up here. Right? I just told everyone everything's okay. Don't look at me. Don't look at what's going on over here. Because what's going on over here... I don't want to embarrass the family, okay? They're okay. I've already said that's all right. So look at me. Don't look at them. Let me look at them. Okay? All right, because I smile when I look at them. Jesus is in the room, right? Jesus is going to calm this down. The more they're in the presence of God, the more they will be. Alex, just don't shake that one, all right? <laughs> All right. Hey, how about you come? All right. Okay. No. Right. That's good. Alex, 
You come preach with me? Come on. No. No, he's too gruff. Okay, all good. So what I'm saying is it takes great faith, right? Now, it takes great faith, but at the same time, it's hard to have great I think about people who are looking at things with their natural eyes more than looking at things with faith eyes. And I feel saddened when I think about people who don't have the privilege of looking through the eyes of faith and the eyes of Jesus. When we don't have faith, of course it's going to be quite depressing when we're looking at ourselves in the world self and feeling depressed and feeling down and feeling hurt it's even sadder because we've got an answer we've got faith we've got an eyes to look beyond our situ- situation circumstance so no matter what challenge becomer who is the conqueror who is the one who helps us achieve and does so with greater purpose than we ever could we get that privilege as christians right so when we come to seasons of growth and seasons of change and seasons of all sorts, amen? Jesus says he's going to bless us and, and that blessing he's going to press down and it's going to run over and all of these sorts of things. I, I, what I think about there is that we're going to press the grapes and God is able, if you read Ephesians 3, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine, amen? That's what Ephesians tells us, that God, not Steve, not insert your name here, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. I can imagine some pretty amazing things. I can imagine some pretty crazy things as well, right? But God is able to do over and above that. And we're stepping in, amen? So again, I'm just doing some business with the church here, but if God is speaking to you about this, it's all good because God's able to build faith anywhere, amen? All right, so we're going to do three weeks at how God uh, calls his church to sow seed for the abundant blessing, okay? And, and we're, going to, we're going to step into this together because I'm thinking how a farmer comes out of a drought. Now, we, we, live, we do live in a that's all right, but we should understand that when a farmer comes out of a season of drought, they could approach that two ways onto their seed and then keep the seed in the storehouse because they need to keep that for a, a rainy day get it rainy day um or they can be optimistic yeah? so that's how a farmer goes so so coming out of the drought the farmer says i smell rain in the air and that's what i kind of sense in the spirit is i can smell rain in the air rain rain and it's the rain of abundant harvest but you see, you can't have a harvest. You 30, 100, or 30, 60, or 100 fold if your seed stays in the storehouse. That's the kind of concept that, that, that we're going to try and unpack a little bit for us. So we're going to spend three weeks doing that. And today, I don't know if I'm going to be able to spend a lot of time on that because the Holy Spirit's talking to me about something else. And that's okay. If you feel like you want to know what I shared or felt like I was going to share, go back to our 8.30. We truly need land. Everyone say amen. <laughs> uh, going back 16 years ago, we wouldn't have thought we would outgrow two acres of land. But God is abundant in his blessing. And we've used almost every section of this block of land to its most effect. And we're running. All right, so we definitely need land. 
But we also need land um, to see that the house of God grows. Because you see here this morning how blessed it is to have many people here. How blessed is that program? And our kids' teachers are doing wonderful things. But out there in, the, in, the, in their services, they're doing their stuff. But I want my kids back in here worshipping with me. I want our 8.30 and our 10.30 services to come back together. Yeah, I want our churches full, our church full with people times over. So we don't only need land, we need, uh, we need land to build something that will house the great move of God. And that's an exciting thing. Because every time we've had to do a move as a church, or every time we've had to take a faith locally by the local people who attend this church, the facilities that we see here have always come from the faithful giving of those who call Griffith their home. And who God It's not because thousands and thousands and thousands of people are giving. It's because God has faithfully sown those who are faithful to him. And they've given because they smell rain in the air. And that's where we're at. We're at a greater sense of being able to do that. And we've got to start to plan the next stage. Without land, we can't plan the next stage. I can't plan the next building. I can't plan the next school. I can't plan, like, let me tell you how, how, how critical this is. We can have, we've got a school here on site, and we currently legally can have 108 students on site. We now have 98 students here at our school. That's pretty exciting. There could be another three coming in in the second term, in the third term. We're, we were over 100 students. I think that's pretty crazy. Bring in next year, we're now a high school, and we're thinking that there could be 40 to 45 kids come in next year. So we've got to do some paperwork and get through the, to raise up to get 150 here. But 150, imagine 150 kids out there on that back lawn. The teachers are going, right? So from a church's perspective, we're out of land. From a school perspective, we're completely out of land, right? Minimum. About four or five acres of that gets taken up with car park and roads and all sorts of things. But imagine the playgrounds that you can have. Can I have our ushers come forward if they're in the room? If not, can I have two guys or girls come forward? Look at that. Sammy, you're amazing. Servant heart. That's why you're up there on the screen as service. Hey, thanks, Tash. You're amazing. A thing is share a little bit of my heart and vision without taking too much of your time here. Uh, but really, what we're doing is we're believing that in the next 12 months, $150,000 will come in for our building offering. And I don't think that's big enough, but I, I know that we've got to lead people in that, amen? So we'll talk about this a bit more over the next few weeks, and uh, I think we're about there. Now, you're going to all do me a favour and close that up, and you're going to read it later, all right? Everyone say, yes, Pastor Steve. Good. All good? All right, I'm going to open our Bibles up to Malachi chapter 1. No, chapter 3, sorry jumped ahead i was going to say if you're italian say malachi i didn't hear it malachi there's a few italians in the room come on there you go look at that uh, malachi where's malachi everyone say where's malachi tell me where malachi is in the bible where is it it's in the old testament is it all right it's the last book of the old testament interesting fact just a fun fact for you my bible here um, this is not true of everybody at the end of malachi look at this everyone a really simple thing. At the end of Malachi, I flipped the page 450 years and I'm in the New Testament. One page away from the New Testament. But the problem with Malachi is this. I haven't wanted to preach talking about Malachi. That's, not old, that's old Testament. And I went, yeah, but so is all this. 
<laughs> See all that? That's the Old Testament, that's the New Testament. Do you know what? There's another fun apostles. The Bible for the, uh, for the early church was this. Every teaching that we find in the New Testament comes from the Old Testament. And you can't understand Jesus unless you understand that he's seen throughout the entire Old Testament. To think that I shouldn't teach out of Malachi because it's Old Testament. It's like saying I can't use the Psalms or the Proverbs or the, uh, the, the book of Exodus to share the principles of understanding. I want to put to bed straight away. Firstly, Malachi is not a book of the law. It's a book of the prophets. And the prophets took the law and pointed to Jesus. So we have to understand that we've got to look at Malachi through the cross. We can't look at Malachi with a religious or an old school or a, or a law-based mindset. What happens in church life is we tend to only teach Malachi chapter 3 because Malachi chapter 3 talks about bringing the tithe into the storehouse and how God will bless it. Now, I'm not going to do that today. I promise you that's not what this message is about. I want to talk to you about a couple of little things in here and I've gone off script so I'm going to go up and just say, God, what do you want to say to me this morning? What do you want to share with my heart this morning? You see, Malachi, Malachi comes at a really interesting time in history. Malachi is a contemporary. That means he was around at the same time as people like Nehemiah and Ezra. And Nehemiah is a very interesting character and Ezra is a very interesting temple, which was the house of God. And Malachi is a contemporary. He's, he's there at the same time. So these people that, 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 that Malachi is speaking to have come out of Babylon. They've come out of being separated from the Holy Lands. They've come out of the time when for him. They didn't keep the law. And they were ruined. They were shipwrecked for that. But God is faithful and God is a covenant God. And he remembers his covenant with his people. Okay. And he brings them out through Esther and Nehemiah. That as you, as you learn about Nehemiah, you learn, well, hang on a minute, I've got a couple of roles to play. And number one, I've, I've got to rebuild the walls of my family. I, I've got to take what God says and I've got to put these things in come to know Jesus, right? The second thing I learn is that I'm at war. So while in one hand, the, the people of Israel have got a trowel rebuilding the walls and safety and security, they've also got a weapon strapped to their side and they're warring all the people that are coming against the people of Israel. They had to be prepared. That speaks a lot to me of Christianity, doesn't it? That tells me a lot of the seasons and the times that we're in while we're at war with a world that wants to destroy us. Does that, does that make sense? So if I can get that lesson out of Nehemiah... Surely I can get a lesson out of Malachi. Okay? So Malachi, he has, he, what happens is these people, they're looking at themselves a lot. Like, woe is me. God has forgotten us. I want to take you to this first verse. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. I want to say that again. For I, the Lord, do not change. You want to say that back to me? For I, the Lord, do not change. And here in Malachi, we find the same concept. I, the Lord, do not change. Right. 
he's referring to his covenant promise. He's referring to the fact that those he chooses, he will prosper. Those that are going on here in the book of Malachi. Think about this in your own world. Think about this about how we can be sometimes as Christians. How we can be sometimes even as people looking at the church and saying, should I be a part of that or should I not be a part of that? Buttes that are going on here. Malachi is not about money, even though money is talked about, or tithing, even though tithing is talked about. Malachi is answering what's going to happen. These disputes are really interesting. The first one is this, that God makes a distinction between good and evil, but the grumbling of the people had it the wrong way around. Understand, in the, in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament shows us that the temple of God was and silver and all sorts of things. You imagine it, it was there. It was a beautiful temple built unto God. Okay. Not only that, but the people were extravagantly prosperous. Think about Solomon and how much money, how much he had. Think about just how generous Solomon was to the Queen of Sheba. Right? We're talking tons and tons and tons of gold. We're not talking little bits of gold. We're talking tons. And so these people have a reference for God that when they are in God and they're following God, he blesses them. But when they're outside of God and outside of his covenant, he curses them. Now, that was true for the covenant that they were under. But in this context... They're now in a place of desolation. Jerusalem is still being... It had no splendor. It didn't even have... The original temple, the fire of God filled the temple and his, the people are looking at it and going, well, that's a little bit second class. That's a little bit underdone. And then they look at the money, the, the splendor, the how, how, how the king and all that are eating extravagantly. And they're saying that God is unjust because he's blessing the wicked in and out of the church, right? So this is not a Malachite problem. This is not an Israelite problem. This is something that, that is, goes to the core of humanity. Does that make through a principle called sacrifice? We don't use this anymore. Good thing, right? So we don't have to do that. But uh, between that they had done wrong and the way God's holy standard was, was that they had to sacrifice an animal. And they would do so for the... Had to be a lamb without blemish no spot so they had to be perfectly white clean and self the people were keeping back their sacrifice that was good and they were offering things that were lame or diseased or ravaged by wolves now think about that god is a holy god and they're accusing him of not being they did wrong they're offering was second class here they were the same people telling god that he's second rate and yet they're behaving second rate so their offering was not right it was not done with the right heart it wasn't the people that malachi was dealing with here it was the priests and the levites who were supposed to represent god who were allowing this second rate hello this second rate second class Think about that. A just and holy and righteous God, and these people are coming before him. It says this in 
chapter 1 and verse 7. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my fear? This is God talking to the people. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. It's an interesting word, polluted, isn't it? But you say, how have we... Fast forward into today, we celebrate the Lord's table, don't we? The communion with Jesus, who was the perfect lamb, who was sacrificed on our behalf. Imagine if Jesus wasn't perfect, if Jesus was second rate. Imagine if that lamb had spot and wrinkle, offering on behalf of us. No. So, we have this sense here God is saying, when you offer blind animals, verse 8, in sacrifice, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. So God uses through Malachi, he says, if you went and took that lame lamb and offered it to the governor, that who was ruling your region from Babylon, if you did, interesting, isn't it? The third one is this, Israel's um, Israel's attitude toward marriage and idolatry. <laughs> marriage is an interesting one. But marriage, I'll just really make this simple for everyone. Within the context of what God is sharing through Malachi in Malachi chapter 2, God says that he's the witness between the marriage. And the covenant is made between the man, the woman, and God. And what happens in marriage, in particular in these people at the time, the priests and those who were meant to be looking, they led by a different example. They divorced the wives of their youth and they... ...nation. And those women who came in from a different nation... They brought in their idolatry, their worship of other gods. People are saying, God, remember us in your covenant, but yet they couldn't remember God in their own covenants that they had. Can you understand the, the hypocrisy that's going on here as the people are blaming God for their situations that they're in? Does that make sense? Yeah, good. I hope everyone's with me because this is what happens when you fast forward into the new covenant. These first three disputes... They refer Israel back to the law. But yet, I have this sneaking suspicion that they all sound familiar to us even today. It's because all three are carried through into the New Testament. We are members of a superior covenant, Hebrews 8, chapter, chapter 8 and verse 6. That superior covenant is Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? God loves a cheerful giver is just one scripture that I pulled out, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So when it comes to giving, 1 Peter chapter 2 and 9, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation under God. Right? So this comes through into the new covenant, but it comes through not just from the priests. Everyone that believes in Jesus is elected as priests because it reflects the love that Jesus has for his church. That sounds like Ephesians, hence as Jesus did for the church. And the last one is this whole area of being unequally yoked, which causes idolatry. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. 
theology, Malachi, by all of the prophets and the apostles, was brought into the new covenant. Does that make sense? So those people that stand back and go, tithing is an Old Testament law, they've already been found wanting. Make sense? The last three things are this. They're linked to the first three, but they're brought through. One is adultery. Adultery is final judgment and separation. But you see, the last three are clothed in what I would term prophetic voice. Because this is where I feel the rubber hits the road. In, in Malachi chapter 3, this is how it begins with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Think about that for a moment. Have you asked that question yourself? Where is the God of justice? Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and the messenger of the Lord, sorry, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord, that was fulfilled in their time and was uh, proclaiming a time to come. Malachi means messenger of God. So the messenger of God has come to these proclamation is that one is coming and his name is Jesus. His messenger. Why is this important? It can endure the day of his coming. And who can stand where he, when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord in the days of old. will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. That's how God... Do you hear that preached? How often do you hear that taught? How often do you hear that God was about to send someone, remember, last book of the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus, the very next book, the, the refiner. I will send the fullest, he'll be like one with fullest soap. What does this mean? In chapter 4, and the evildoers will be stubble, back to the farming analogy. The day that is coming shall be set Will shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that for you who fear my name, that is the name of God, the name above every name, the name that is Jesus Christ, for you that fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise and you shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. I'd love to ask you all to start jumping and leaping like fresh born calves. Because that's the joy that is talking about this day of the Lord. The day that Jesus comes, but it's also pointing to another day when Jesus returns. When he comes, he comes like a refiner and a purifier. Let me explain that to you really quickly. When Jesus refines, think about a lump of silver that's just been brought out of the ground. Under fire and intense heat, that silver melts. All of the rubbish, all of the stuff that isn't the pure silver 
rises to the surface. They term that as dross. The refiner removes that dross, takes a skim off the top of it, and continues to refine it until that silver to purify that which was lost. Lost to sin. Lost to pain. Lost to whatever it is that you think that you could be separated from God with. Jesus comes as a refiner. How do I know this? Because in the New Testament, what happens is that the Bible terms this process in a new way. It says, it cannot be made new but by God's presence. That which was old must die and be reborn after the likeness of Jesus. Jesus, the refiner's fire in you and your God. That was the issue of Malachi's time, wasn't it? The people were full of sin. The people were accusing God for their own state. The people were looking at God and saying, where is the God of justice when they themselves were full of unrighteousness? And God says, I will send one it will come like the refiner's fire. That's the first one. The second is this. He says that he will, be, he will come like a fuller's soap. Now that speaks of cleansing. I think people get this one wrong. It's not the cleansing of the righteous, those who have been refined to come under the fire. The fuller's soap, what the fuller would do is wash the garments. It's about as it's drying and it's spun around and all sorts of things like that. And it comes out, the agitation of it, that's a good word, it, 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 uh, cleans the, it cleans the garment, the spinning gets rid of the water, and it comes... But the fuller, they would use the soap, and they would wash the garment, and then you know what they would do? They would stick the garment over clean rocks, and they would flog it with sticks and rods. I had enough floggings from my dad when I was growing up, right? I do not want a flogging from Jesus. It's the separation, it's the flogging, those who deserve punishment. That's the just God that the people were crying out for. Where is the God of justice? We get the choice. Do we choose the God of the fire, the one who purges, or the God who cleanses and separates that which cannot be situation? And I want to fast forward to finish in my close today with this thought. you got your Bibles, would you open them to speak of the one who came? I want to speak of the one who offers either the refiner's fire or the fuller's soap. It's a choice. God, God cannot go against our free will. Do you know this? God, God cannot save someone who will not humble themselves and realize they need saving. Pravity that I was in, I realized I was like these people in Malachi that I had no idea who God was and in fact I was spitting in his face as a nine-year-old because I thought that I knew better than God. And I was convicted of my heart of how wrong I was and I chose Jesus. I do. Jesus came and while he walked the earth, he taught about the kingdom of God and the loving acceptance and grace of our Father. He spoke about that day when he will reach. That is going to be a great and glorious day. That's how the New Testament terms it. But that's a re-terming of what was said in the Old Testament when the Old Testament said that that is going to be a fearsome day, a terrible day. 
And it's going to be a terrible day for those who choose the fullest soap as having to be cleansed. That's the God of justice. That's the God who says, you know what? I am a God of the covenant and my covenant cannot be breached, but I will be in covenant with you if only you will believe. So Jesus comes and, and he talks about going to the cross. And then he comes to the cross. He goes before Pontius Pilate. Pilate asks for him himself, of which he did not defend. He was like a lamb before the slaughter, one who would kill it. The only thing Jesus accepted was that he was the king. He said, rightly, you say. He then gets shipped off down to Herod, who was proposed to be the king of the, grand, of the land, but there was no, no authority in that at all. And because Herod wanted to... Jesus would not perform any such miracle in front of Herod. Sometimes people come to Jesus because they want the miracle. But, and as Jesus comes before, back before Pilate, he, he says, I see no wrong in this man, but I wash my hands of the guilt of that cross at the place of the skull. It's translated the skull from the word Golgotha. Jesus goes to the hill and there he is nailed to a cross committed no wrong, never once sinned, was condemned as a right. This is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 23. And would you open your hearts this morning as animals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified. They, there they crucified him and the criminal. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That forgive them. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him This is the king of the Jews. Novi, I wonder if you'd come and play for me who was hanged, railed at him. And I asked this question this morning sincerely. Which one of these criminals are you? Because Jesus, upon decide the criminals who represent us, which one are you? This is what this one criminal said to him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. It's a selfish thing there. It's a selfish motive of saying, save me. I need to live. I need to get over this. But it comes through the voice of the mocker. Save yourself. Are you not, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. These criminals, one, one would just want to save his own skin, the other would acknowledge that he was receiving that. This criminal understood that he received the right penalty.
condemned who is righteous for the sins of all of humanity to make right that which you or I could never do and today we're left with a decision are we the criminal on the left or are we the criminal on the right are we trying to save our skins and in saving our own hide we reject Jesus and therefore we are subject to the fuller's soul are we like the sinner who knew he was copying exactly what he deserved? And in all of his courage and with every piece of strength that he had, not knowing the outcome, he looks at Jesus and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that moment, forgiveness flows and he is told that he will be with Jesus in paradise. Isn't that a miracle? church this morning bow your heads because Jesus is a refiner's fire and he's able to purge you of all things he's able to separate you from that which you've done that which you want to do and that which him and that you will be one day with him in his but that same Jesus is judge and if we don't call upon his name we'll be separated like the goats the Bible talks some pretty nasty things when it comes to that area I do not want to be separated from Jesus when he comes into his glory fully coming this morning an opportunity as the word of God convicts us and the Holy Spirit leads us to repentance is there anyone in the room this morning that would like to say just like our beloved sister Amanda did three weeks ago I want Jesus in my life. An offering to God and say, God, I need Jesus. Across this room right now, if you need Jesus in your life, if you want to be fine, like Jesus, raise your hand. Father, we thank you for the seeds of the gospel that are going forth this morning. You've chosen us. You're speaking to us. with God really quickly within ourselves the refiner wants to refine something in our hearts this morning may I lead us in a prayer Lord Jesus we come before you now we are yours and we are Father today we
find that the kindness and goodness of God leads to repentance. For us as humans, we do. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for all that you do.